Hello, my name is Anne. I'll be bringing the second Bible reading, which is found in Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside, wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down to the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were all in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Hear the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Anne. Do keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 8. On the inside of the newsletter, you'll find an outline. You might find that helpful to take notes if that's something that's helpful for you. But let's pray and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider this wonderful, profound record of what Jesus did, seeing his power, that we will today respond rightly as we engage with him and see his power over creation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the story we're considering today, it's a very familiar one, and I'm sure many of us would have heard it many, many times. We would have seen it illustrated in children's Bible and even depicted in many of the paintings, a lot of paintings. And perhaps the most famous one was one done by Dutch artist Rembrandt. You know this one? I think it's Dutch. In Dutch, you also pronounce Rembrandt. But the, the painting is called Christ in a Storm on the Sea of Galilee, painted in 1633. It was in fact held in the museum in Boston, but unfortunately today you can't see it anymore because it was stolen in 1990. But anyway, what's fascinating about this painting was how Rembrandt tried to capture how the different disciples responded in the storm. Now, of course, we don't exactly know how each disciple responded. We only know what is here recorded in Scripture. However, it does help us picture what may have happened. But what it also does, this painting, is it's a bit like a metaphor of life. You see, our life, it's a bit like a voyage. We have a beginning and we have an end. And our voyage, sometimes it might be just calm, open seas, and we've got not a worry in life. But then sometimes the storms come, and often out of nowhere, with, we least expect it especially. And you know what I mean, don't you? When the storms in life come, you know, you go to the doctor's appointment, and the prognosis is, is no good. It's cancer. The storms come. I mean, even this past week, I heard of one needing emergency bypass surgery. Or the car accident. The storms come out of nowhere. Or the relationship breakdown. Could never have anticipated the storms come or even the tragedy. I mean, we know what it's like, isn't it? Our life, a bit like a voyage, and sometimes open, calm seas, 
but then sometimes the storms come out of nowhere. And so Rembrandt, he was trying to capture that. You know, the storms are raging, the waves are crashing over the boat, the sail is torn in his painting, the rigging is broken, it's chaos, it's mayhem. And, and then when you zoom in, you see five of the disciples towards the back completely lost control. I mean, they're frantically trying to battle the waves and the wind. They're trying to keep control of the sails, which was torn. And I suspect sometimes we're like that in the storms of life, isn't it? We try to keep control. We try to stay in control, but we've completely lost control. We've got no way of fixing it. And then you zoom into the guy at the other end of the boat. It's a bit harder to see, but he's holding the rudder. He's straining. He's trying to stay focused. I'm holding on to dear life. But he did not see the massive wave that was crashing out the front. Or you've got this disciple. He sees the wave and he's just terrified. He's just stunned. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And that's sometimes like how we are when the storms come. We're just stunned. No idea what to do. And then you've got this guy. It's hard to see, but he's vomiting overboard. Now, that's probably me. I, if I sit in the back seat of the cave, I'm not in the driver's seat, I get car sick. Well, he's seasick. And then you've got this guy. We don't see his face. His back is turned towards us. It's the disciple who, who has completely lost all hope. He can't see his face. He, he's in a sense saying, I've accepted my fate. I'm going to die. Don't even look at me. And then you've got these two disciples in desperation. They come to Jesus in distress. They're angry. Jesus, save us. And then, of course, you've got Jesus there, completely calm in all the mayhem, in all the chaos, with the eye of the storm. And then you've got one who did something very different. We don't see his face because he's kneeling down in front of Jesus, in worship. Out of all the disciples, this disciple was most calm, not frazzled, not frantic, but his focus was on Jesus in worship. It's a picture, isn't it? We don't exactly know how the different disciples responded, but it's a picture of the various responses in the storms of life. And I suspect we can resonate with that. But in fact, in this painting, Rembrandt, he was brilliant. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. You can correct me later. Very clever because he added one more person to this painting. This guy. I mean, you count the number of people on the boat. How many people are we meant to expect? How many people do we have up here? You're meant to have, what, 13, 12 disciples, Jesus. But in this painting, there were 14 men. Who is the 14th guy? Well, Rembrandt, he painted himself into the scene. It was a self-portrait, that is him, staring out of the painting to the viewer. You see, what he was doing was very clever. He was putting himself in that storm and, in a sense, asking himself, what would I do in this storm? Which of these disciples will I be like in this storm? How would I respond? And his eye is gazing out of the painting, and in a sense, inviting us in. And that's the question for us today. What are we like in the storms of life? 
What are we like as we enter into this story, enter into this storm, when we sense the desperation, when we see the power of Jesus, will we respond in the right way, in faith? Now, of course, we don't know exactly how each of the disciples responded. What we do know, it's exactly here in Luke 8. So what do we know? Well, we come to the passage now. It was certainly a raging storm. They've set out on the lake of Galilee, headed towards the other side to the Gentile territory. And this is a huge lake. It's about 13 kilometers by 21 kilometers. That's a bit like from us to the city, down all the way to about Chelsea. It's a huge lake. And what do we read here? Have a look at verse 23. As they sailed, he, Jesus, fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Now, I think what Rembrandt was trying to capture in his painting, waves crashing, the wind blowing, the windstorm, the huge swells, there was no hope at all for the disciples. There was no hope at all for that little fishing boat in the raging sea. In fact, the Sea of Galilee was known to have treacherous storms that would come out of nowhere because of where it was located in Israel. You see, the Sea of Galilee, Galilee is located in a basin. It sits about 200 meters below sea level, and it's surrounded by these huge mountains. And so you can just imagine as the cool wind flows over the mountains, down the valleys, it becomes like a wind tunnel. And as it mixes with the rising hot air from the lake, it could churn the water so rapidly and you have these massive storms that comes out of nowhere, these turbulent, raging, fury, furious storms. And that was known about the Sea of Galilee, still happens. And so just like in that painting, if you're in that, just like Rembrandt's inviting us into the story on the boat, it's hopeless. The storm's raging, you're this little wooden boat, You've got the weather against you. How can you stand against the weather? But what did Jesus do? We saw here in this little in the kids' talk before. He was fast asleep. I mean, how can you sleep in a storm? Everyone was drenched, wet, fatigued, frightened to death. And there was Jesus sleeping. I mean, surely if you get wet a bit, you'll wake up, right? I mean, you go to sleep, I pour a bucket on you, you'll wake up. Jesus fast asleep. How? Why? Well, no doubt he was tired from the day of ministry, preaching, teaching, all his miracles. But Jesus was able to be fast asleep because he had nothing at all to fear. But of course, the disciples, they had everything to fear. Remember, many of them were seasoned fishermen. They've been on the lake hundreds of times. They would have experienced storms and waves and swells. They they would have known the, the lake back to front. But even for them, that day, that evening, that storm was just too much, too big for them to handle. In fact, for Jewish people, they were not really seafarers. They're not really water people, boat people, shipping people. This was just a lake. They they were not really sailors in the open seas. That was really the Phoenicians who were the sailors. Before the Jewish people, the sea always to them remained this chaos, this, this frightening unknown. You see, growing up, just imagine Jewish boys and girls growing up with the story of Jonah. You'll be terrified by the sea. 
You, you want to stay away from the sea. And so Jewish boys will not grow up swimming. And so the fear of the sea would have compounded that desperation of what they experienced that evening in that storm. And so what did they do? Well, let's have a look. Well, they did what anyone would have done. They didn't pretend that the storm was not happening. It's okay, it's not happening. Don't worry about it. They did not do that. Nor didn't they think, we're still in control. We can make this work. We'll sort it out. No. And they weren't so courteous as well. Let's not disturb the master. He's so tight. Let's just leave him alone. No. Instead, what did they do? They cried out in desperation. They screamed. They shouted, Master, verse 24. Master, Master, we are going to drown. We're going to die, Jesus. In fact, in Mark's account, they also cried out, Teacher, don't you care if we die? Don't you care if we are to die today? Do our lives mean nothing to you? Do you not care? I mean, what a statement to accuse Jesus of. But what are we like in the storms? You know, we're on the boat. We're in the storm. Master, master, we're going to drown. It's a prayer, isn't it? It's a prayer to God, crying out to God for help. You see, when the storms of life come, even atheists cry out to God. In fact, only a couple of years ago, we were probably all forgotten COVID, but only a couple of years ago, we had that COVID pandemic. Remember that? Researchers found that online searches for the word prayer soared to their highest level in over 90 countries during the height of the pandemic, even atheists. And so this cry of desperation, on one level, it was the right response because what do you do in such a time? You cry out to God for help. Now, what did Jesus do? What did they expect Jesus to do? Well, perhaps even in our storms that we experience, when things don't go well, when things suddenly happen that we did not anticipate or expect, what do we expect Jesus to do? I mean, Jesus, just do something. The disciples, they're probably thinking, Jesus, at least help us get the bucket, bail out the water. At least help us try to mend the sails. At least hold on to something. But they would never have expected Jesus to do what he did. And though we know what happened, we cannot lose that sense of wonder and marvel and awe at what Jesus did. Verse 24, have a look. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. I mean, that was no fluke. It wasn't as though the storm suddenly decided coincidentally to stop. Not at all. Even if the wind stopped blowing at that instance, coincidentally, the waves would still be raging for hours afterwards. And it was not by a song or dance by Jesus. What did he do? He simply spoke. He rebuked the wind and the waves like what you would do to a naughty dog. And what did he show? I mean, who has such power? I mean, if it started to rain, it's a beautiful day today. If it started to rain and I went out there at the street and I looked at the rain and I said, stop. What would you think of me? This guy shouldn't be our minister. That's probably what you think. 
But the power of Jesus over creation, that was what we saw. And the power of Jesus is the power of God. He did only what God could do. You see, this is to bring to mind the power of God's word. When God said, let there be light, and there was light. Be calm, and it was calm. Jesus did what only God could do because he's divine. Just like in our first reading in Psalm 107, it was God who stilled the storm to a whisper, who hushed the waves of the sea. You see, the disciples could not have expected that Jesus was going to do such a thing. No one could have expected. Even today, if you think about all the different world religions, let's just say there was a leader of a different world religion on the boat, what would they have done? Let's imagine it was Muhammad on the boat. In Islam, he's a prophet. What would he have done? Well, he wouldn't have rebuked the wind and the waves. He probably would have prayed to Allah, but he could not have commanded the wind and the waves. Or let's say it was Buddha on the boat. What would he have done? Well, there was no command over the wind and waves. He, he probably would have just accepted this is our fate. Part of the process of reincarnation, but no power at all over creation. Well, let's just say it was an atheist on the boat. Well, if it is a consistent atheist, then he would have said, well, let's try to do all within our power to save this boat, to take control. But if it is the end, it is the end. It's fatalism. But atheists also sometimes pray when the storms come. In fact, that was exactly what happened with John Newton. Remember him? He's the amazing grace guy, the slave trader. He abandoned the faith of his parents. He worked as a slave trader. But in 1748, on a voyage aboard a ship called Greyhound, he awoke to find his ship in a thunderstorm, in a severe thunderstorm, off the coast of Ireland. And he prayed to God, an atheist, prayed to God for mercy. And he marked the beginning of his conversion. You see, no one could have done what Jesus did that evening. Be calm. And it was. Now Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks a piercing, a revealing question. Verse 25. Where is your faith? It's a question about where. Not why or how, but where, which means you have faith, but where is it? Bring it out. Have you forgotten to take out your faith? Have you forgotten to exercise your faith, just like you saw the centurion did, just like you saw how the prostitute exercised her faith? Where is your faith? Because what was the problem of the disciples? You see, they were like those in Rembrandt's painting, looking to the storm, and they saw the storm, and they were terrified. And you would be if you, if you just fix your eyes upon the storm. You'll be terrified. How do we overcome this? How do we battle this storm? But Jesus says, where is your faith? It should be directed to me. Don't look at the storm. Look to me. Your eyes should be fixed upon me. I mean, if you look at the storm, of course you'll be frightened, but look to me. And the storm is no match against me. But they, of course, only look to the storm. He said, when you look at the danger, of course you'll be frightened and you'll make yourself even more frightened. I was thinking about this illustration. and It's a bit like you know when you go for an injection or you go to give blood. 
or you go to get a blood test, and you know, six bottles of blood. If your eyes focus on the syringe and the needle as it comes closer and closer to your skin, and you see it pierce your skin and go into your, I don't know, your vein or artery, some doctor will correct me later, you'll be frightened. You know, that's why the nurse always says, look away. Don't look at that. Don't look at that danger. In fact, instead, look at the nurse and you'll see, well, that's not a serial killer. I should be okay. <laughs> and so Jesus says, don't look at the storm. Don't look at the needle. Look to me. Don't allow the storm to get in the way of seeing me. In fact, if the disciples understood what Jesus said just before they got onto the boat, they would not have been terrified. You know that little story that was read just at the beginning? Remember what Jesus said in verse 21. Have a look at that. Jesus said, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That is, if you hear God's word and if you trust in God, then you're part of my family. You're my brothers, you're my sisters, you're my mother, and if you are family, of course I will care for you. You have nothing to fear. In fact, even in the eye of that storm, that place on that boat was the safest place in the entire universe, in the eye of the storm. Not on dry ground, not back home, but right there in the storm because it was with Jesus. And so how did the disciples respond? Well, now their fear shifted from the storm to the one who calmed the storm with his words. Look at verse 25. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. You see, now their terror, terror gripped the disciples, and now they got a glimpse of the power and the majesty and the sovereignty and the authority of Jesus. Who is this man who even speaks to the wind and the waves and they obey him? You see, Jesus is nothing less than the Son of God, the ruler of all, the saviour of the world. And there is no place I'd rather be, even in a storm, than to be with Jesus. And so just like Rembrandt's invitation, we boarded the boat on this voyage if you were to chart your life like a long sea voyage, what are we like? What are you like in the storms you experience? I mean, storms will come for sure. They will come for sure. If not already, you are in the midst of a storm now. We don't know what lies ahead. We don't even know what lies ahead tomorrow or what lies ahead beneath the calm, glassy waters. I mean, I've been in pastoral ministry for long enough to know that when you come to church like this and you see a crowd of, you know, this big, everyone's thinking, oh, everyone just has their life in order. That person, that family, they've got their life in order. But the truth is, every single person has something that's weighing on them, has some baggage, has some burden, has a thorn. Family life might not be as it should be. Marriage might not be as joyful as it's meant to be. Illness, that thorn in the flesh that will just never go away and it's chronic. 
There might be something that's just draining, haunting inside, consuming, eating away inside. Anxiety, depression, disappointments, relationships that's gone sour, struggles, hardships, pain. And yet there may be another storm brewing. The waters may seem calm, but underneath it's raging. Now when we read this story and as we reflect on our life, our sea voyage, we're not meant to see this story and think, well, if I believe in Jesus, he's going to calm all my storms and I've got nothing to worry about. He'll help me navigate through life, through this voyage and avoid all the storms of life. Not at all. That is not how we're meant to read and understand this story. In fact, if you think about it, how did the disciples end up in the storm? How did they get there in the first place? You see, often when we're in storms, it's maybe because we found ourselves in a pickle, in a terrible situation. It's a painful place because we've been silly, because we've been foolish, because we've been sinful. But here the disciples, they found themselves in the storm because they were obedient. Isn't that fascinating? Because whose idea was it to get on the boat and to cross the lake? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. They were obedient. They only did what Jesus said. And that led them right into the eye of the storm. Why? Well, perhaps... Perhaps Jesus wanted them to experience that storm so that their faith could be tested, so that they could learn, when I come to the end of myself, I come to the beginning of faith. When I come to the end of myself, I come to the beginning of faith. You see, that storm was terrifying, life-threatening, but it was good for the disciples. And so it is for us. So it is for us. We can't assume and think, as I, if I pray to Jesus, he's going to calm every storm. Not at all. Jesus may allow us to experience. He may have even ordained that we experience the storm. Why? So that we know where to place our faith. Not in my control as though I'm in control. I'm never in control. Not in my abilities. I mean, what are my abilities against chronic illness or, or cancer? Where is my faith? In Jesus. When I come to the end of myself, I come to the beginning of faith. I look not to the storm. I don't look to the storm and terrify myself and frighten myself, but I fix my eyes on Jesus. I don't look to the syringe. I look to the nurse. And just like in Rembrandt's painting, like the one on his knees in worship. I mean, I was heartened to hear, even from amongst us, one who shared recently, God has not healed her, and her understanding maybe is not God's will yet. But I'll still trust him. And so how can we really have such faith? How can we be like that disciple in the painting, bowing down to Jesus in the eye of the storm in worship? How can we really trust that I remain in the safest place possible? Because you see, there is one storm, the storm that Jesus faced 
on our behalf. The storm Jesus calmed. And he calmed the storm. But this time, not with his voice, but with his blood. It's the storm of God's wrath to be poured out on all humanity. And Jesus went to the cross to calm that storm for us. He took it upon himself out of love for us so that we will never have to face that storm of the wrath of God if our faith is in him. You see, that is so important to keep in perspective. In our voyage in life, storms we face, storms come and go. It might be frightening. The storms are raging. But as big as they are, and of course they are big, and I know the stories from even amongst our church. You know, someone's had a heart attack. Someone has a fall and is in hospital. There's been a car accident. Someone's just in a dark pit, in a dark place. Not to diminish our storms and the experience of pain and difficulty, the hardships of those storms, it's real, it's hard, and there are tears. But if I keep perspective, I don't descend into self-pity, like the one in Rembrandt's painting. You know, the one who's got his face away from us and his back towards us, I've just given up all hope. No, and, and we don't also think, my storm is bigger than your storm. We don't fall into self-pity. But instead, I know that even in this storm, I have a calm in my life because Jesus has endured the storm of God's wrath for me. And so this is a story. If we're really in it, if we're really in and on that boat as Rembrandt invites us, as this gospel story invites us, it's a story about having faith in Jesus. And if my faith is in him, I'm looking to him and not at the storm. It may be raging and going crazy, but I am in the safest place possible because I'm with Jesus and he's with me until I finally reach the shores of heaven. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you have preserved this story of the power and the majesty of Jesus over creation, the one who calmed that storm, but the one who calmed the storm with his own blood on the cross. And so help us, Lord, to live our lives knowing that storms will come and go, but we do have the calmness because Jesus has endured the storm for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.